Hello and welcome to the NC Podcast. My name is Natasha Collins and I am the host and founder of NC Real Estate, which includes its members club for landlords and property investors to come and build profitable property portfolios that completely align with their goals. Have you been over to my website recently, ncrealestate.co.uk? No, if you haven't, I want you to go there now. Once you get to ncrealestate.co.uk, you will see a pop-up box which says, which property type should you buy next? This is a quiz. It's a really quick and easy quiz, but it's 11 questions. And what it does is it goes through your property investment personality type so that you know what sort of property you should be buying next, whether that's a commercial property, a regular buy-to-let, serviced accommodation or HMO or a development or a flip. So go over to my website, ncrealestate.co.uk, take a look and give the quiz a go. And then let me know which property type you are told that you should buy next. So did you listen to my podcast last week? If not, I think you should. I'm going to give you an update now on what happened. It was a week called leasehold disaster and how to avoid it. And in the podcast, I went through everything that's happening around a service charge tribunal for a property that I own, the fact that it's been going on for years and years and years. Now this week, I wanted to give you a little bit of an update because thank you for everybody who got in contact with me and said, this is really interesting. I want to hear more about it. So first things first, I got in contact with the head leaseholder and said to them, look, the freeholder isn't included within these tribunal proceedings. There is nothing on this tribunal application that says that the freeholder even needs to give a response and it's really important that the freeholder gets involved because after all the main part of the determination is whether the head leaseholder should do the works or the freeholder should do the works really the only part of the proceedings that is to do with the long leaseholders is the windows So after a very lengthy conversation and emails going backwards and forwards with the head of leasehold management at this, uh, at at the head leaseholder's office, they realised, shock horror, that the freeholder needed to be involved in proceedings. So what they have done is they've updated the tribunal proceedings, pulled some of the papers and sent new papers out to the freeholder. My concern here is that there is no dates for the freeholder to reply to the head leaseholder. And we really are, as leaseholders, relying on the head leaseholder putting the correct information in the tribunal application because it is their application. So it may be that it's all off and wrong. We're not entirely sure, but I do know that the freeholder is now being included. The uh, Head leaseholder has also given us an extension on the dates to respond to their statement of case, which we've got until the 14th of February. So that's quite a long lead time. But again, there's not too much that we can say about the statement of case that doesn't involve us as leaseholders because it's between the head leaseholder and the freeholder. So we will just be responding on the fact that we agree with the window costs 
and we agree with the other cost actually um, we added it up again the schedule that they've presented to the tribunal and it adds up to £93,500. So again, they're off by about £15,000. Whoever is putting together their schedules can't seemingly use a calculator, but that is their own downfall, not ours. We will just put that in our response to their statement of case. So the next thing that I have been disputing with them is whether it is reasonable for leaseholders to pay the legal costs for the head leaseholder to get this dispute settled between the head leaseholder and the freeholder. I have had a formal complaint going through about this for a number of weeks and they have just come back to me in the last 24 hours and said that they are looking at whether the costs are fair and reasonable. This puts the ball back in my court because I now have to respond to that. And I am in the process of looking for relevant case law, which specifies whether it is leaseholders responsibility to pay for the tribunal costs for a dispute between the head leaseholder and the freeholder. I've found one relevant piece of case law, uh, Sink Clare Gardens Investments Kensington Limited versus Avon Estates London Limited uh, from 2016. And that decision was that the recovery of the costs and expenses depends upon the wording of the lease. So I do need to find a little bit of extra case law just to back up my argument that whilst leaseholders, yes, should be paying for any sort of management between the head leaseholder and the leaseholders, if the dispute is not to do with the leaseholders, in fact, it's actually to do with the head leaseholder and the freeholder, we shouldn't be picking up the legal fees of this. So that's what I'm trying to sort out at the moment. It's ongoing. It's time consuming and it is a little bit frustrating. But some more key takeaways that I need to give you are that if you are paying service charge for your commercial property or your long lease hold on residential and specifically long lease hold on residential because um, I'll go through a little bit of commercial in a second. But long lease hold on commercial on residential, sorry, you need to make sure that you understand what it says in your service charge provisions because you are going to have to be disputing that if you feel like it's not reasonable or fair you're the only person that can do that no one else is going to come along and do it for you and unfortunately the managing agent does not go through and check whether things are fair and reasonable for you even though they should they just send things out based upon what they think should happen. So the responsibility always falls on you to dispute this. For as commercial, if you're a commercial tenant and you have a dispute with commercial service charges, you can you go straight to the managing agent and dispute it. Or if you have a further problem, then the RICS does have a dispute resolution procedure, which you can use. Uh, that costs about £425 as a starting price. And then you pay for the expert who's going to do the service charge determination for you. So there are different processes. But all I can say is that whenever you are dealing with service charges, you need to make sure that you understand what it says in the lease because then you are best placed to dispute it if you ever think there's a problem. So that's the update on that situation. Let's move on to something a bit more exciting because that is like seriously a downer sometimes because it just takes so much time of 
my already busy schedule. That's that's kind of an evening and weekends project, which I will be glad when that is finished. So as of the time of recording this podcast, I've completed on the new flat. Yeah, I'm so excited for that. That's been going through for a while. Um, it stopped over Christmas. We didn't hear anything. Then Santander, the lender, uh, wanted to check some things out with the planning permission back from when that building was split up in 1981. Finally, last week, we got given the all clear for the exchange to happen. And I'm going to be hosting my Members Club live event from that flat next week. So I'm very excited about that. Members Club In the Members Club, every quarter we catch up and we go to a new location every quarter and we find out what everybody's been doing and it's a really good chance for people to meet in person. What I wanted to talk about in this podcast today and one of the the biggest experiences that I wanted to share with you is how to buy a property when you aren't in the country because there are some things that you really really need to be aware of. It's all well and good looking at someone else's laptop lifestyle and honestly it's great. Being able to work from wherever I want is an absolute blessing because it means that there's no time constraints, there's no uh, time zone constraints either, and I can work from anywhere in the world. But when you are buying property, there are some things that you really need to be aware of. So firstly, of course, you have to go and have a look at the property and I go back to the UK really often. I'm always in and out. So it's it's not a problem for me to go and have a look at new properties. You just need to make sure that once you've seen the property and you enter into negotiations, the other party has an easy way of contacting you. So my mobile phone contract covers both the UK and the world. Actually, I can get that call within my plan across the world, which is great. O2 have been very accommodating with that. But I also have a landline on my computer via Skype so that I can be called on a landline as well if someone needs to get hold of me. And of course, I'm constantly checking my emails, probably a bit too much. Side note, New Year's resolution, don't check those emails as much. But I'm contactable. That's one of the very first things. What breaks a negotiation is when the other side can't get in contact with you. And that's very, very difficult for them because they don't know whether you still want to go ahead or not. So that's the first thing. You need to be in contact. Second thing is you do still need an address in the UK. I have a flat in the UK, which is my UK address where everything goes to. All of my bank is registered there. Um, I'm registered there for everything actually. So I still live out of the UK, essentially. I've said this before, I don't have a permanent visa in the States. I I can't work in the States. I don't pay taxes in the States. So everything that I do is onshore in the UK and I have a base. It doesn't necessarily have to be a flat that you have or a property that you have just laying around um, specifically for you um, to come backwards and forwards with, but you do need an address. So whether it's your parents' address, a family members, a friends that you can have as a base and they look at your post and you can show that you've lived there for a little bit of time. That's really, really important. Um, you need to have your driving license registered to that 
place as well and an in-date passport and hopefully paying bills so get your mobile phone bill to come through from there as well so that you can show that that's also been really useful my the flat that I use I rent out as uh, Airbnb when I'm in the country I live there when I'm out of the country I Airbnb it so that's how that works I pay all of the bills on that flat all of my bank statements are there I have someone who goes and picks up the post for me on a regular basis the cleaners always make sure that they sort it out so that guests aren't going to pick it up that's how that works for me and it works really really well the next thing that you need to then do is you need to make sure that your solicitor and your mortgage broker have copies of your documents so your driver's license your passport uh, details of where you live so a relevant bill within the last three months that actually shows that that's your permanent address. Really important that you have that as well. And then every time, every three months or so, or once you're back in the country, go and update that with them. Because then they can act on your behalf. They know who you are. They've got all the documents. They can then send that through to the lender to prove that you are who you say you are and you live where you say you live. Again, that's been so useful. And every time I'm back in the country I pop in on Nishita who is my solicitor and we have a good catch-up um, and I just share my details um, and I make a real big priority of doing that. Um, it's also really important that you keep hold of your national insurance number. As I said I'm a UK resident for all intents purposes. I pay tax in the UK so your national insurance number is a necessity because you are going to be asked for that on numerous occasions. So Again, keep that with you. These documents as well, carry with you wherever you are in the world. You need your national insurance number. You need to make sure that you've got um, access to proof of address in the UK. So if you've got all of your bills online, that's really important too. Your mortgage lender is going to ask for all of this information. Similarly, if you're doing remortgages, you also need to have all of the details of your properties. So I file everything on an online filing system, which is password protected, very, very safe and secure, but I can access that as long as I've got an internet connection. So I can always put together the documents of my portfolio. And when I'm back in the UK and I sort out my filing, I scan everything in and I store it correctly. So I don't have to worry about, oh, where's this paperwork? Have I got this sorted out? Okay, it takes a little bit more time, but good organization is key. The other thing that's really important is that when you're buying a property in the UK, there's still things that have to have your original signature on and you have to have sent the original copy of the document. And that needs to be on A4 paper. Now, America don't use A4 paper. They use a slightly different size, which is problematic if you don't have a pack of A4 paper with you. Now, you can get it. Um, I always make sure I've got a stock for whenever I'm doing legal contracts for the UK because it's important that you send that sized paper. You're also going to need to have a printer that prints off A4. I think all, all printers actually print off A4, but it might be that if you were to go into a print shop, they might not necessarily stock the A4 paper. So just make sure you have... A4 paper with you that isn't crumpled up or 
looking terrible because when you do your mortgage deed and get that signed and when you sign your contract for the sale of the property that is going to have to be printed off you're going to have to sign it in ink and you're going to have to get that back to the UK wherever that needs to go so bear that in mind it it can't be that you think oh I'm going to complete on Friday it's now a Wednesday oh I might go and print that off and try and get it in the post also know that you're going to have to leave room for um, posting documents. For example, even though I paid $65 for my contract and my mortgage deeds to get in the post to my solicitor, that still took four working days, which is a lot of money for three pieces of paper to go in the post. But you also have to factor in that you have to get to whatever post office you're going to go to and you're going to have to sign the customs form for that to get into the UK. So this all takes time. It can't be that you just one day decide, oh, okay, today's the day I'm going to get all the paperwork. Make sure that your solicitor knows where you are. This is even true if you're just traveling for a month or two. You know, we all love it when we get sabbaticals where we get time off work and we get to travel the world which is essentially what we're doing at the moment but you have to be prepared for the fact that things can take longer and also what happens if documents get lost along the way do you have time factored in for if you need to send it again because although you could get the post insured which you do that's why you pay so much for it to happen It's insured, but it doesn't mean that you're going to get the original documents back that you can put back in the post. Also, mortgage deeds do need to be witnessed. And ideally, they need to be witnessed by someone who is in the UK. So please bear that in mind that you need to go and find somebody who can witness your documents for you. But again, you need to get confirmation from your solicitor or um, the mortgage lender who you can have sign your uh, mortgage deed and then you also need to have factor in the fact that if you are a bit more of a cheapskate like I am when it comes to bank fees I would rather transfer up to my limit of £20,000 a day than I would pay for a chaps transfer of £30 but again Banks, if you're going to do the big transfer all at once, the bank would rather see you in person or get you on the phone. So you're going to have to have that ability to call into the bank or be there or give yourself enough time. And like I do is transfer the £20,000 a day. And then finally, here's the final thing that you really do need to be aware of is the fact that you need to have someone to go and collect the keys on the day that you complete. Really important. So my dad has gone to collect the keys, which is very nice of him. He's around. He gets excited by this stuff. The owner of the cur- of the flat currently knows him anyway. So the handover of the keys isn't too much of a problem. But you need to make sure that whoever is picking up the keys on your behalf is known to the buyer or to the seller sorry so the seller can give whoever it is the keys right so you've got to organize all of that and there's a bit of um jumbling and 
trying to get everything sorted out. But if you have all of this factored in before you start even thinking about the fact that you're going to purchase a property, you're then actually quite organized because you have to know that these processes are gonna take longer than you being in the UK. And that's absolutely fine. Do you know what? We invest because we don't wanna be in one place maybe, or we want the opportunities to live wherever we wanna live, be wherever we wanna be. But we do have to make sure that if we still want the investment lifestyle and we still want to be buying these assets, that we have access to the right things. Now, I am super excited. I will be back in the UK next week and I will be there with the letting agent and I am going to get a letting agent to let this flat out and manage it because really it doesn't make too much of a difference in the rental income that I'm going to guess on it, which is very nice. Very, very nice. This is a good purchase for the fact that all costs have been touch wood, are touch wood, pretty cheap so far. So I I am actually going to go back to the UK, do the inspection, make sure that everything is looking good and it's ready to be let out. In this particular flat, there is a new bathroom, there is a new kitchen. So from that point of view, it's fine. It's recently been decorated. There's lovely blinds on the windows. In fact, it's really almost good to go. I've just got to change a couple of radiators around and I wanted to paint one of the walk-in wardrobe doors so that it's white and matches the rest of the room. Apart from that, it's pretty much good to go. So I am then gonna get the agent that I've already selected. Yeah, I've been emailing and phoning around agents just to make sure that I'm getting the best price and the most knowledgeable person. And I'm gonna meet them on site and show them the unit. But you can't, if you're not in the country and you still want this to happen, you can't just switch off to it. You have to be prepared to be constantly chasing things up, writing things in your diary when you're expecting them to happen and checking on everything. It's really important. Organization in as a property investor is key to your success and key to everything happening the way you want it to. Again, this has taken a couple of weeks longer than I was hoping. I was hoping to complete in the first week or so of January, but really on the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. The other thing is that when I inspected the property the last time I was in the UK, there wasn't anything in the flat. You do need to be aware of the fact that you should really go and inspect the property between exchange and completion just so that the seller gets everything out that you don't want in there. Luckily, there's nothing in this unless there's any strange remains in the roof. I don't know. <laughs> I'm actually going to not do I'm not going to think about that. Um, and luckily, I'm doing a, another development. I'll just skip it all if there is anything in there. But you do need to bear in mind that it's important that you go and inspect these things as well so that you're not left with any unwanted surprises. And again, you need to have someone on the ground who can put you on FaceTime and show you around the flat or the property so that you can say, no, get rid of that. No, keep that. Get rid of this. Keep this. Again, very, very, very important. So there we have it. Those are my top tips for how to buy a property when you aren't in the country. Essentially, you need to be prepared that things are gonna take longer from your point of view to get everything back into the UK. So factor that in, be very honest with everybody that 
do you know what? I need a week to 10 days to send you the mortgage deed and completion statement. So solicitor, please can you send this to me early so that I can figure it all out? I mean, we've completed today and I've had my completion statement and my mortgage deed done since the middle of December. So they've had that for a very, very long time. So it's important that you factor that kind of thing in as well. So I hope that's been useful. I am so excited about going and getting my hands on this flat. I cannot, cannot tell you. I've also got the, the flat below, as I said, is being renovated. I've done all of the project uh, specification for that. All the contractors are going in as of Monday. So that'll have already started before I come back. As I said, yeah, I'm very organized. I get everything done so that when I, I am in the UK, I'm very focused with what I'm doing. But yeah, this is exciting. I'll let you know how it goes as I do it. I will record a podcast in the coming weeks from the flat and let you know what I find when I'm there. Um, but it's an exciting journey. I get very excited about investing in property. When I very first started, one of the properties that I bought uh, the night before I was had a sleepless night. And then when I finally went to sleep, I, it was the only time that I've slept walk because I was so nervous about the fact that I was spending so much money. But nowadays, it's just pure excitement. I'm excited with what I can do with it, with what's to come with it, just seeing what kind of tenants enjoy it. That for me makes all of this worth it. So I can't wait to get my hands on it, land in the country, go straight there and see what I've bought. <laughs> so there we have it a podcast this week I hope it's been useful for you thank you for listening I really do appreciate it please don't forget to subscribe make sure you leave a review if you love this podcast because reviews really do help support the sponsors of this podcast and I cannot wait to catch up with you again soon